Hello, Kior, and welcome to another episode of the Thirsty Conservationist Podcast. I am your host, Adam Shellhammer, coming to you pre-recorded from the front seat of my 2009 Subaru Forester. So I invite you to come on, relax, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and welcome i am back sitting in the dark of the subaru recording another episode of the thirsty conservationist podcast happy to be back it's been an exciting week everyone we've been officially live for just about a week now we've got a lot of folks passing through the platform nick's been doing a hell of a job getting the word out on the tiktok page and uh, couldn't be more thrilled with the the initial response from the Wooden Journey platform. I mean, we're, it's it's so so encouraging to see people engaging in such a meaningful and proactive way. I've seen comments on all the all the blogs on the Explore page, um, feedback on what people would like us to focus on, stuff that they that has been of value to them. It's just been really heartening. Um, cause a lot of it, it's just, it, you know, something good's going to come of it. We're all here for the same reason. And when you get this much passion in one spot, when you bring this many people so enthusiastic and dedicated to creating meaningful change, when that all comes together, something powerful will happen and you can start, uh, you're starting to see it and it's just incredible. And I couldn't be happier to be involved with this. And I got to thank Nick again for having me on. And uh, I can't wait to get him on an upcoming podcast so we can talk a little bit about the partnerships we're forming, the initiatives we have, the planting uh, the planting projects we have around the world, to, and the efforts we're, we're, we're undertaking to prevent deforestation, all to give this big blue marble a fighting chance at healing itself. Because that's really all we need to do. Sometimes, you know, I... I when you look at systems over time, the most resilient system is the natural world around us. I mean, when you think about how much damage we've done through the industrial age, it's just the industrial revolution. I, I, good Lord, in a very short amount of time, I, we just, we went to town I mean, we made great advances, and obviously we have a quality of life that reflects those advances. And it's amazing. So it's not, it's, um, look, it is what it is. But the amount of pressures we've put on the natural world, and for the, the fact that it still provides abundance and can still support us even now, is, is just, uh, it's just so powerful to think about in that way. I'm kind of kind of getting off on a tangent, but I think I'm going to run with it, to be honest, because that, I guess that's the fear. It's at what point, at what point does that system become so broken that it can't support us? And I think that's the fear we probably all, we feel on a daily basis. We know that we've pushed it too far. We've been pushing it too far. We've been taking and taking and taking too much and not enough's gone back into the system. We're out of balance because we're nothing more 
than animals. We're just one of the species that inhabit this place. And while others work in balance, we do not. You know, I had this weird thought. I was talking to my wife, and I had this weird thought about, oh, this will be super thrilling for anybody interested in predator-prey cycles. But it's the first one you learn when you're going through environmental biology. It's the lynx and the snowshoe hare. And I was watching an episode of Ray Mears recently, an old episode. It's probably like 10 years old at this point. If you don't know who Ray Mears is, he is uh, just an incredible naturalist from uh, from Great Britain. I highly suggest checking him out. Um, you know, look up some of his stuff on YouTube, see what he's all about. But he's not he's not a survivalist. He's just a, he's a just a wonderful naturalist and storyteller. Anyway, I was watching that and it brought up the balance of an ecosystem as it re- as it relates to predator prey relationships. So, I think it's on a 9 or 10 year cycle. Could be wrong. It's been a while since I studied this since I had to take a test on it. But you've got essentially in the boreal forests of Canada, you've got this relationship between the lynx and the snowshoe hare. You start off say you start at balance. All right, not enough predator pressure. So, abundance of food, the snowshoe hare does what it does and starts to procreate. And procreate and procreate. And many, many babies are born and generations go by. And all of a sudden you've got, you're flooded in snowshoe hares. So, two things happen. First, food supply starts to dwindle. Right? All the little saplings, all the twigs, all the good stuff starts to decrease in volume. There's also some stuff to show that perhaps there is a chemical reaction, a defense mechanism from the plants that'll put off, you know, some kind of nasties that'll make it ta- not taste good. So it's a kind of a deterrent. I'm not positive on that. I think that's been proven. But what I do know is, as the snowshoe hair population explodes, following just behind it a year or two is the population of the lynx, because all of a sudden it too has an abundance of food. So couple years go by three years hair reaches its peak the lynx is right on its tail literally and figuratively starting that three-year peak starts to decline why reduce food source and more predators chasing them around so what happens the lynx population increases driving down the hair population a couple years after that the hair population tanks What happens after that? Well, there's no more food for the lynx. So the lynx population begins to tank. And then it gets to the valley, and what happens again? It goes on an upswing. So in the natural world, there's a rhythm. I'm not saying it is a uh, a kumbaya, beautifully harmonious rhythm. I mean, it's nature. It can be violent and it's, you know, these things are fighting for their lives and existence and it's a, they're clawing every day, but there's a, there's a balance and a rhythm and it's so damn consistent that you can literally set a calendar to it, like a 10 year calendar for these relationships. And you know, what'll happen because it's happened a million times over. It's been happening for eons. We're the only species that doesn't really do that. What happens if we don't have enough food? We go make more or we just go find another landscape and we just draw it down till there's nothing. And then we move on to another one and we just keep going. 
What happens uh, if we can't find shelter? Well, we'll take some resources there. We'll just jack up some houses. We have advances that have allowed us to step out of these natural cycles and rhythms. And honestly, I'm pumped. This 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 podcast is not going in the direction that I I planned. But man, you get me on a predator uh, prey relationships, and like it's a whole new thing. But the human species is the only species not to fit these molds. We've evolved in such a way in our, you know, infinite wisdom and intellect has allowed us to rise above. I say that full tongue in cheek. But from a from a uh, landscape engineering perspective, from just a, a force on the landscape, we, we've, we've just taken it to another level. But it's important to remember that we are no different from the rest of the species. We have to find a way to live in balance. Right now, we're not in balance. <clears throat> we've got imbalances in so many arenas that need to be addressed. <clears throat> the carrying capacity of the world cannot sustain our current growth. The methods we're using to produce the resources we need at this time are not sufficient to meet future needs. Some of them are pretty darn uh, degenerative. So just in our attempt, we've gone so far, so far past survival. I mean, we're past content. You know, now it's just, we've just got to figure out a way to get it in balance. And I guess that's the fear. Again, we're back to this fear factor, but it's just, it's true. And as I ramble on here and I stare up at the stars at the Southern Hemisphere, uh, I mean, I'm grateful that I even get to talk to you from inside this car. I mean, it's, 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 I mean, all, all, all the base needs are being met and I get to have, you know, have a, have a nice conversation with my little Subaru from my little corner of New Zealand. But I guess what? what we need to try to do is figure out how to work in balance. What does that mean for the human species? I don't know if we, I don't know if we know. I think we knew at one point we probably knew how to operate in balance and not just, it, it would have been required. I mean, if you think about even, you know, later stages of the hunter gatherer regime, you know, we, we understood the rhythms of the landscape. We moved with, uh, with the migration of whatever it may have been in that area. We understood that the, the landscape was going to provide something at certain times of the year, and we would have prepared for it. Even more recently, I mean, you talk to old farmers. They, worked, they had to work with the rhythm of the season. Before they had mechanical advantage, before that there was, um, oh, industrial industrial fertilizers before we had that there was a rhythm of the season and i guess i i hope i'm not romanticizing this <clears throat> but there's a part of me that just wants to get back to finding that rhythm it's so hard and i feel like it's the pathway forward now i'm looking into things like regenerative agriculture uh, which which has all sorts of connotations now. I feel like it's been weaponized. But when you look at some of the practices of regenerative agriculture, it's just 
old school conservation practices for ag. It's riparian plantings. It's fencing off the waterways. It's, 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 you know, leaving some cover on the fields after the harvest so it doesn't, all the mud dust doesn't run off. Which, for those of you who don't know, sediment is the number one pollutant for most waterways in this world. So that's a big deal. But, you know, I'm looking into regenerative ag and I'm like, it just makes sense. There's elements of it that might need to be refined for the, the current world's carrying or just population. And maybe there's a balance to that as well. Like, we, we, we probably can't turn back the clock to the way we used to produce food. Like, I just don't see it in the cards. But there's, you know, there's got to be elements of that old school method, bring, adopting some regenerative practices that use kind of integrated pest management to, to deal with pests, um, to ensure successful harvests. Uh, there's just got to be something to it. I also like, when you look at things like um, Alan Savory, Joel Salient, we've got... Greg Judy, the way they they view the management of their herds, sheep, beef, whatever it is, those species, herd species, the uh, ungulates, they're 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 made to to work through a landscape quickly, you know, as if they were being pushed by a predator. So these um, these farmers are are trying to farm in that manner. So they'll just mob up cattle more condensed clusters but they'll move them faster so they're always on fresh they're always on fresh grass they move them quick so they're not standing in their own feces they quickly trample it in and it gives the landscape time to heal before they return and regraze that so it's rotational but because they're moved so quickly they only nip just the tips of the grass off the most nutritious and then it grows back again and then they move them on and they just keep them moving and uh, there's there's something I don't know I guess it 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 appeals to it appeals to some part of my heart that believes that using a method that mimics nature is inherently a better way to do it because that's the way the earth was designed to do it like, I don't want to oversimplify it, but look, Mother Nature figures stuff out way better than we do. We think we're very, very, very clever. <clears throat> but when you think about these systems and how they were designed, if you think about grasslands and the species that were meant to be there and the abundance the, the, of, uh, with, of which they used to, you know, inhabit those areas... If we can mimic some of this and bring it back and adopt some of the old school strategies that used to be yeah, ubiquitous, it would just be it may provide maybe it provides us a pathway forward on how to find that balance again. So I guess I guess that's what we're exploring tonight, then, guys. Like it wasn't I I didn't set out to do this. I was going to talk about soil in the waterways. I have I guess I touched on it. <clears throat> yeah, I did. I did. Well, I hope you guys don't mind. That's not where we're going anymore. I guess we're just going to focus on balance this evening. I had a professor one time explain it to me as far as the balance of the landscape. Explain just kind of the, the best analogy I ever heard was that of a hammock. A hammock has many threads. And if you're like me, 
I need every one of those threads to support me, right? So his, his analogy was each species in the landscape plays a role in maintaining the balance and integrity of that system. Now, you don't know which ones, were they not to be there, would result in complete failure of the system, <clears throat> in this case, the hammock. But imagine you have a hammock, many threads, all brand new, tight, woven together, very supportive. Can support my hefty frame. What happens if you start to pull on those threads? Maybe you just take one out. All right, all right. Well, no noticeable difference, right? I took one. I took one thread out. No big deal. Take another one out. Nah, still no big deal. I, I still feel supported. Like it's fine. System's working. Hammocks up. Life is good. Sun is out. Then you start to take out a few more. Four, five, eight threads come out. You start to feel a little bit of sag. They're like, oh, I don't like that. My left cheek is sliding through right now. And that's, that's never good. I'm still in it, though, so I don't really care. Like, I'm still off the ground, so it must be working. No big deal. At what point have you weakened the system so much is, that it fails? You know, how many threads can you remove and which ones are the most critical? And I don't believe there is a most critical thread. I think there's the last thread. Like there's that one where you'll reach and it's just, well, you've pulled enough and this was the last one holding it all together. Now you're screwed. But you look at how our systems are integrated from an ecology standpoint. And you talk about climate change and it's, it scares the hell out of you. Because you think about a pollinator species, the timing has to be just right. So... Something's in bloom in April, but say because of screwy weather patterns, it sets it back a week or it comes early. And then, but the, oh, but the pollinator isn't there at that time because it's always there at the same time. And then that pollinator doesn't have a food source. And then that takes a decline. Oh, and that has a spiraling effect. That's just one piece of the, of the system. Man, that's terrifying. I mean, I guess we can talk about, I'm not going to be cagey about things that you know make me think we need to we need to get moving on on addressing climate change because it's a serious topic but these rhythms of the landscape the timing of 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 a bloom with you know as a critical food source for a pollinator which that pollinator will in turn work to pollinate our food source you know these are the things we need to safeguard and the reason we need to do what we can to make sure we maintain the integrity of the systems around us. If for no other reason, for the selfish endeavor of maintaining our own existence. Like I, I sometimes I think to myself, I don't know if anybody knows this, but we do need water to survive. There's folks that I swear believe that they can, they literally could run by consuming nickels. Or I guess that's not going to be a good reference here in New Zealand. Uh, consuming the gold coins, you know, in that in 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 not even a greed way. They just don't even consider what's actually needed to to thrive and survive. So I think for our own health, let's be selfish about it. We should fight climate change just so we can stick around and continue to enjoy this world. 
if for if we if we want to strip all the altruism out of it we got to do it otherwise we will cease to be able to enjoy this place we might cease to be you know not to be so fatalistic about it but it's something to consider these systems are in place to support the species of the planet and we are one of them we just have to get back to the balance of it you know, I hear, it's a conversation I'd like to have, and it's probably its own episode, but I'll put it out there now. You know, again, dabbling in the in the regenerative agriculture space, uh, and actually more in the climate change, in the, in the hardcore climate change space, I guess with my current job, a lot of folks, and I'm, I'm not putting an opinion out there, this is just observation, so I guess an opinion, but mostly an observation. It's, it's always an either-or proposition, which I feel like is just an extreme way to look at any problem. But so when we're talking regenerative ag, you have a group that will inherently say, well, uh, meat production is killing the planet. I don't... I'm not saying that it's a great thing if you're eating 10 steaks a week. There's obviously negative impacts that result from that. But my question becomes, you have these issues around horticulture where there's, you know, sediment runoff, pollutant runoff. And it's, it's mostly just from, from, we could refine the practices to safeguard against that. So there's, there's ways to improve all of it. So my question is, how do we work in balance? And I guess from we'll, we'll just focus on food production tonight because there's obviously things around housing and oh, fuel consumption and just our carbon footprint. There's, it, it's just endless. So I guess because we've been focusing on food, maybe it's because I'm hungry. It could very well be because I'm hungry. Well, we'll focus on food systems. How do we work to adapt? to account for that balance <clears throat> you know you've got these methods of producing not producing for raising sheep beef um, that have shown to improve soil health healthy soils sequester carbon healthy soils allow more uh, rainwater to infiltrate which recharge aquifers so if this is if if the byproduct of effective herd management is increased soil health, improved soil health. That's a pretty awesome byproduct aside from the byproduct of, you know, food security. With horticulture, you know, the vegetarian diet requires certain things. So there's practices to be improved there. If we can use cover crops, if we can use no-till practices to increase soil health and maintain uh, increase organic matter. We can sequester more carbon. We can infiltrate. We're back to the same spot. So maybe it's not about what we're producing. Maybe it's how we're producing it. And I guess that's something I'd like to put out there to the group because I know it's sometimes a contentious topic. But I've, I've seen uh, degraded systems resulting from all, well, pretty much whatever you could produce is a food source. There's, a, there's, there's probably someone that... <laughs> There's probably a bad example, but we don't want to focus on bad examples. Let's just say this. For whatever you, whatever food you can produce, I've seen quality operators that take every opportunity and do an amazing job to protect the resources, 
doing their part to address climate change and producing quality food for the community. That is a win, 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 win. <clears throat> I think that's what we need to get to. You know, we've, we can't just, we can't just turn on each other because of, uh, look, there's, there's, there's clearly a case to be made for a uh, balance in dietary intake. Okay. But I think we should be cautious in how we approach this discussion with, with the, the wider community, because there's, there's, there's a lot of benefit to be had from working together on it. And if you're constantly making adversaries, Ooh, it's going to be an uphill battle. I want through and yeah, just, just an interesting point. Okay. So there's this, there's a discussion around dairy, right? Oh, the, you know, the, the methane around dairy and I am not a dairyman. I do enjoy my milk, especially of the chocolate variety, but I just want to just, this is just food for thought. Okay. Nothing more, nothing less. An alternative to dairy that's emerged in recent years is almond milk. Okay. It's kind of been touted as a more environmentally friendly alternative. The only issue is a lot of places that now have industrial scale production of almonds are free draining soils, sandy soils. Uh, I believe a lot of them are in the, the southwestern region of the U.S. But almonds like high water table. They like their feet wet, which means you have to irrigate, which means you're using groundwater. And a lot of those places are running out of groundwater. It's pretty scary. But it produces almond milk, which is overall viewed as a healthier product with less environmental impacts. I just think there's nuance to this stuff, guys. And I wish I had a better way to present this. I wish I was more eloquent with it. But it's just one of those things. I feel like it's a discussion we need to have. I feel like we have to stay open-minded in how we approach these discussions. And I think we just need to find the balance. You know, what is that balance? We've got to make progress. But clearly this system was intended to work with a number of different factors. You know, it's not, it's not an all or nothing thing. There's, there's rhythm. So how do we work within that rhythm, guys? And I think together on the Wooden Journey platform <clears throat> in here, I think we've got a chance to do just that. I think we have a chance to maybe rediscover some old school methods of operating. Blend it with the new school. Throw in a bit of tech. I mean, we're halfway to being cyborgs at this point, but I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But how do we how do we bring it all together? Okay, we had know how before when it was when we needed it. We did it out of necessity. How do we add technology to bring us out and just take us to the next level? I mean, there's always going to be the part of me that just wants to run to the hills and live off the land, but God knows, and my friends know, I was never much of a fisherman, so I'd be, I'd probably starve to death within a week. So guys, it's been an interesting ride tonight. It's not where I thought we would go. I actually don't know even where we went. We could be lost in the middle of nowhere right now. I might just, yeah, probably are. But I, I think... 
I think it was a good ride to get here. There's a balance in this world. Every plant and animal, every tree, every bird has its place. It has a niche and it has its own existence within the, the system, within the hammock. And I think it's time we get to the point where we realize that we are no different in the need to fit our role. We need to be in balance. We may be, we may have certain advantages over other species, but this is not, you know, we can't keep leaning on the Abrahamic view of, of, of stewardship as in we have to subdue the wilderness like that. We got to get past this. So guys, I am pumped to try to find that balance with you and have the conversations and drive the conversations collectively in whatever your hometown is. These are the things that we need to do. It's not sometimes just taking what we're talking about here and taking it to your community, having these discussions with people. There's you know people that have influence, people that have um, that, that that might be able to to have some a positive impact in your own community. This is where we can start. So we're, we're going to continue to explore some topics here. Tonight was balance. I mean, I can't do a Sean Connery impression very well, but you know, well, never mind. I won't go. I won't go deep cuts on the second episode with a Highlander reference. I'm sorry, but guys, it's been an awesome night. The journey is definitely different from what I expected this evening, but I thought this was a. Um, it felt like the right way to go. Maybe it felt balanced. Have an awesome evening. See you back here next time for the next episode of the Thirsty Conservationist podcast. I've been Adam. Keep on keeping on. Farewell.